If you turn your Bibles again to Galatians chapter 1 as we finish up chapter 1, beautiful passage of scripture for us to celebrate communion with. Paul shares his own personal story of being transformed from a persecutor to a pastor. Now, maybe some of you got transformed from an alcoholic to one who thinks clearly. Some of you got transformed from someone in a terrible relationship to one that pleases the Lord. Some of you went from someone who can't tell the truth to someone who's a truth teller. We've all been transformed in our relationship with the Lord. Amen? The Apostle Paul's story is one that's extreme. And he has boldness because of what happened to him. We, we've grown up in a, in a world that is so politically correct at times that we just simply agree with everything everyone says to avoid conflict, don't we? It's almost as if there doesn't need to be any truth anymore because what everyone does is just simply say, well, if you believe it's right, it's right. We just sang John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. That is truth. Paul agreed with that assessment, with that truth, and he confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. And because of that, he was transformed. And because of that, he went from being a persecutor of the church, one who literally was responsible for trying to stamp out this fledgling religion called Christianity, to its biggest proponent, to the one who authored more than a third, really, of the New Testament, to someone who articulated all of the great doctrines of faith, to someone to be used of the Lord to not only no longer persecute, but to pastor other pastors. It's a beautiful picture of our own experience with the Lord. And so let's pick up in verse 10 here in Galatians 1, and we'll finish chapter 1 uh, this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for transforming us. Lord, taking these broken vessels, clay pots, and making us vessels of honor. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd speak through your word, encourage us, and as we turn our attention to the celebration, Lord, of our new life in Christ, would you prepare our hearts to receive at the Lord's table. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Now remember who this is that's speaking. This is the former Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, one who was, for all intents and purposes, a religious attorney. Part of his job was to rightly interpret the law of God and to apply it. And remember that that particular group of 70, plus the high priest and his assistant, was responsible for meeting out justice that could include the death penalty. If you were found guilty of transgressing the law, Jewish law, and you were a Jew, many, many things included the potential of you actually being put to death. And one of those things 
was blasphemy. And Paul participated in many trials, specifically one of, that you know of, the trial of Stephen, where he not only participated in it, but was responsible for holding Stephen's garments while he was stoned to death. Paul was in every way, shape, or form the highest degree of persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. But God. Amen? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus. Amen? For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And so we meet the Apostle Paul. You see, you have the same choice to make in this world. You can choose to be a man pleaser or you can choose to be a God pleaser. You can either be fully committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or you can attempt to try and please people in this world. And if you attempt to please people in this world, let me just tell you straight up, you're going to find that it's futile. Because not only can you not please all the people all the time, you can rarely even please yourself. Amen? Isn't it crazy how things you once thought you thought you no longer think? It's true, isn't it? Opinions change. We, we, we try so hard to be in the know and on the right track and with the right party and in this group and that group. It, it seems to be the world that we live in. We're, we're always trying to figure out, well, I got, just got to be with these people. No, what you need to do is be well-pleasing to God. And Paul figured that out. If you're well-pleasing to God, your voting record will show that. If you're well-pleasing to God, your work experience will show that. If you're well-pleasing to God, your educational experience will show that. If you're well-pleasing to God, you as a husband or a wife or as a son or a daughter will show that. If you seek to please God, it will affect every area of your life. But if you seek to please men, if that's your goal, you will fail. Because it's an impossibility. It's a moving target. Paul understood this. And so he begins with his own life. Francis Asbury, who was the first bishop of the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church here in the U.S., prayed at an ordination service. He was asked, you know, what he was going to pray, and he prayed this simple prayer. He said, O Lord, grant that these brethren may never want to be like other people. That's a great prayer. 
You, you see, very often we simply try to conform to what society tries to stick us into, what little box. I just want to be like Jesus. So I've been tracking all the Instagram posts and things from both El Salvador and Colombia during this last week as our, as our young people are serving. You know what I saw? I saw a whole bunch of people just trying to be like Jesus. Young people wanting to be like Jesus. That is what it's about. He came here so we could be like him. He provided salvation so that we can be free from ourselves and be what he wants us to be. Paul's job effectively was killing Christians. It was his job. Think about it for a second. You talk about a transformation. And it wasn't just a physical thing to where he was making a living doing that. This is what he truly believed. He believed he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. Make no mistake, the Jewish people understood the one true God. And Paul believed he was serving God by killing Christians. You talk about God getting a hold of somebody. And each one of us who really knows the Lord today, as we look back on our own life experience with the Lord, we can say, I used to be. Amen? I used to be. I once was. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I once was this, and now I'm not, because I am this. First we see Paul the persecutor. And when you think of this, think, think on his life. He was Saul of Tarsus. His testimony mentions these, these, these facts. And when you read his account, and you can read it later there in Acts chapter 9, as, as you think on his own life, and you read through the book of Acts, which is largely a story of Paul's missionary journeys, once you get past the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts, it really is the Acts of the Apostles, but it's primarily the Acts of Paul. There's this incredible picture of this man who's beyond sold out. But he wasn't always that way until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Amen? Can I tell you, there was no plan in Paul's life he wasn't on his way to a crusade. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Crusades are very valuable in the kingdom. Altar calls are very valuable in the kingdom. Calling people to make a, a choice to, to know Jesus, very important. But God can reach people without there being an altar call. God can reach people without there being a crusade. And he does all day, every day. And in this case, there was one man and the Lord. And that's all it took. As he's on that road to Damascus, heading north from Jerusalem, a bright light shines in his life, and the rest, as we say, is history. Amen? But underneath all of that, there was a person called Paul. There was a human being. Verse 15, notice what it says. But when it pleased God, 
who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Paul was born a human being just like every other person on this planet. In that sense, we're all united in our, in our beginnings. Amen? Every person in here was not born complete. You were born a babe. And you began to grow. And then God begins to work in your life, calling you by his grace. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to be theologically inaccurate, but God does not call you by his wrath. God does not call you by his simple holiness. God doesn't call you with his omniscience or his omnipotence. God doesn't call you through those things. God calls you through his grace, his unmerited favor that he wants to pour out upon you. He is all those other things. God is holy. And we're supposed to be holy as he is holy. But he calls you, he woos you to himself with the offer of grace. Amen? Because if he tried to call me with an offer of holiness, I'm running. How many of us would come to God if we simply understood he could kill us? Think about it. But he can. He calls us to himself by the grace of the cross, doesn't he? That's how he woos us. He says, look, I love you so much. I'm going to do the one thing that I'm absolutely certain will draw you to me. I'm going to die in your place. And I'm going to offer my holiness in place of your destituteness before God. What an amazing picture. But the Apostle Paul, as he heads out on this journey, does not yet know the full grace of God. He understands from an Old Testament perspective that God somehow wants to redeem mankind. And he falls into his grace until he explains it to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. In other words, it wasn't like he went out and talked to a whole bunch of people. He simply came to know Jesus and his grace. It wasn't he was convinced through crafty arguments. Paul, you've been wrong. And somebody sat down with him and went point by point through the Old Testament and said, look, here's the problem with all these things. That didn't happen. Paul came in contact with the grace of God. And it was God's grace that was offered to him. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia. I went to the desert. I not only didn't go to Jerusalem where the only church, remember, the only church, the original church, was a Jewish church. Amen? The church started in Jerusalem. Almost all of the early converts were Jews. Paul was a leader of the Jewish people, and God so knew that Paul needed his grace to be imparted to his life. He says, look, I don't want you to go to Jerusalem. That'll just mess you up. I'm going to send you to the desert. Sometimes God tears down before he builds up, doesn't he? Sometimes he removes before he imparts. And I returned again to Damascus. 
And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. And afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia. That would be his homeland. Sicilia was the capital of the area of Tarsus. But I was unknown by the face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which once he tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. You see, we see the person, Paul. God revealed himself to Paul. And maybe there's some today that God is revealing himself to you. God loves you so much that Jesus came into this world to die in your place on Calvary's cross. That's the truth of the gospel, isn't it? One of the beauties of celebrating communion is we celebrate a supper that any and all can come to if they choose. We see this incredible man who used to be one way and now he's another. And we might ask ourselves, what happened? Well, it's real simple. God did it. Amen? It's real simple. God got a hold of the Apostle Paul. Tore down that hardened heart and replaced it with a heart that was soft and pliable. One that was angry and bitter got transformed into one that was the greatest preacher of God's grace that we have in all of the Bible. Isn't that crazy? From a legalist to someone who fully understood the grace of God so much so that God used him by the Spirit to author all of the great doctrines of God's grace. If anyone knew it, that would be Paul. Because of what he once was. He was a persecutor. But in his person, he was still Paul. How did God do it? He did it with his grace. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. Amen? So when, when God looked at Paul, he didn't go, oh, well, he's my sworn enemy. I'll just snuff him out. <laughs> you better be really grateful for that. If you're hearing the Lord say amen. amen. Because he would have been better. If you want to look at it in a practical sense, God would be doing the world a favor if he just wiped us out, right? Because he could preach himself better than we do it. He wouldn't make any mistakes. He could just make a whole bunch of perfect people and they would just be, oh. But instead, he uses us. This is mind-boggling to me. The only thing that can do that is God's grace. Because if it's just changing your mind, some of us got some pretty hard heads, amen? I don't know why the Bible doesn't say more about the heads of stone, not just the hearts of stone. Amen? It's like hard heads for Jesus or something. I don't know. Some club. He did it through grace. He did it solely through Christ. This wasn't, this wasn't a crusade. This wasn't an evangelical effort of the church. It wasn't like they put a bunch of people, let's just go get Paul for the Lord. No, Jesus did it himself. And the truth is, Jesus does it to all of us himself. It's his grace. 
It's his sacrifice. It's his life in our place that reaches down to us and pulls us out of that miry clay. It's always going to be through him. But the good news is God doesn't just do it for you. He does it for others too. Any of you had the opportunity to share your testimony with somebody and they look at you like, really? God did that? Sometimes when I share with people my testimony, I I usually look for, for times when God wants me to do that. It's not every day. But sometimes I'll be talking to people and they're like, seriously? You went through that? Yep. Aren't you mad? Nope. Aren't you angry? Nope. How could I be angry and bitter towards people when God has done so much in my life? You see, when you understand the grace of God, you realize what God's doing. He does it so that you can then share that with other people. It's the most awesome thing in the world. That's why when Darren said, you guys smile good, you do. Do you realize what that does to people's lives when they're not smiling? And I'm not talking about the fakey one. I'm talking about you actually care about them. And they look at you and they go, hey, you're weird. (laughs) And you go, let me tell you why I'm weird. (laughs) Amen? Amen? That's why the Apostle Paul said, I'm out of my mind for the sake of Christ. People are going to think you're a little bit touched. And you can go, yep, I'm a little bit touched. Touched by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? And then God does it for his own glory. When you think about what's going on in Paul's life, what's going to happen ultimately through this one redeemed guy? The whole world is going to know God's plan of salvation. The Romans road that we all share with people for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When we go down that road, Paul wrote that road. You know why? Because he walked that road. That was the road to Damascus. That's what happened to Paul. That's why we finally get to see Paul the pastor. This is what happens in his life. Now, you've got to know God's got a sense of humor, amen? Because if you were going to use somebody to to put forth this gospel of grace, you're probably not going to start with somebody who is the world's greatest legalist, amen? And yet God's transformation is so great that that's exactly what God does. He takes a man who is so bent on destroying grace that the grace he tried to destroy transformed him. And says, okay, Paul, I want you to go share with the Gentiles now. Not the Jewish people, because they're going to think that you're in it for something else. So I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Only God can do something like that. That was the decision of the Lord himself. And when you think on on Paul being a pastor, you you talk about, for those of you, you, I don't know if you ever remember back to the early Star Trek days, but, but, you know, to boldly go where no man had gone. You know, I used to wait for that on Sunday night on the original episodes back in the 60s and early 70s. 
It's like, where are they going to boldly go this week? You know, it was always some weird place with tribbles or whatever. You know, but you, you were always waiting. It's like, oh, nobody could ever go there. And they're, they're traveling faster than the speed of light. You know, no one ever stopped to think, well, that's actually impossible because time would go backwards. But you, 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 you have to look, you, you look at these things, and it's like, can you imagine Paul going where Paul ends up going? You talk about going where no Jew had ever gone before. They considered the Gentiles unclean. They considered the Gentiles an abomination. When they looked at Gentiles, it's like, Lord, I'm glad you didn't make me like one of those. That was a morning prayer. It's like, hallelujah, I'm not a Gentile. And yet, that's exactly where Paul goes. Why? Because that's exactly how good God is. He takes persecutors and turns them into pastors. He takes drug addicts and sets them free. He takes people who are in bondage to all manner of sin and lifts them out of that sin and sets their feet upon a rock, a firm foundation so they can walk in his grace. Amen? It's what he does. He's in the redemption business. And those whom he redeems, he redeems to the uttermost. He doesn't just kind of sort of partially saves us. He saves us so he can use us. This time I'm going to ask the communion team to begin to distribute the elements of communion. They'll begin first with the bread and then the cup. And I would ask that you would please hang on to both and we'll participate in the Lord's Supper together. But you might ask yourself, where did Paul go? He went where God told him to go. And I'm going to ask you right now, have you gone where God's told you to go? Because if you haven't, here's the, here's the great news. You can receive Christ right now and participate with us by simply inviting Jesus into your life, confessing that you are a sinner, admitting that he's the only Savior, asking him to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to place your name in the rolls of heaven, the Lamb's book of life, and then offer yourself as a living sacrifice to him to walk with him all of your days. But for the rest of us who've already made that decision, where are you in your journey with the Lord? That is the question for all of us today. You see, some of us, like Paul, might be in Arabia right now. Some of us might be kind of wandering around in the desert trying to figure out what God wants to do in our lives. Some of us might be heading back to a place where we once were, but we now have a mission. Maybe you're heading back to Damascus. Perhaps some of you are being used in a really wonderful way and you're on your way to your Jerusalem. Because God wants to use each and every person in this sanctuary today and those listening online and those in the MPR and the overflow room, wherever you are, 
Uh, if, if you're in Norway right now, or you're in India right now, or you're in Colombia right now, or you're in some other place, some other continent on this globe, and you're watching or listening, God wants to use you. He did not save us to put us on the sidelines for us to watch the rest of the world's time and then usher us off to heaven. He saved us to use us. Church, he saved us to use us. You have a plan and a purpose in the eyes of God. It was no mistake that you came to faith in Christ. It was no accident that you came to faith in Christ. And God has a perfect plan to send you somewhere First to train you, maybe to break you, but certainly to prepare you so that he can use you. That's what we see going on in the Apostle Paul's life. He even gets a chance to return to his home, to Tarsus. And each time God is instilling in him this picture, and while he does go and minister to the Jewish people for a time, a scant 15 days in Jerusalem, God took the Apostle Paul out of his comfort zone. God took the Apostle Paul out of his comfort zone. He would have been very comfortable hanging around the Temple Mount, passing out flyers outside of one of the gates. Paul would have been totally fine. Look, we're going to... Paul could have started Jews for Jesus, amen? Amen. Think about it. Who better than the Apostle Paul? But God had another plan. And maybe you're thinking this morning, well, I don't know what God has for me. And you're looking to the things where you already have strength, and you're saying, well, surely God will do that. Maybe not. Maybe God is calling you out of your comfort zone and into a new place with the Lord. Maybe an uncomfortable place. I can tell you what happens on your first missions trip. You learn exactly how comfortable you normally are. And you learn to live outside of the boundaries of your comfort zone. And you realize that for all of our grumbling and complaining, we have it better than the rest of the world in this country. Perhaps God wants to prepare you to use you in some mind-boggling way. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not sure I really want God to use me. I I pray you don't have that thought right now. But if you do, I'm going to ask that God would take it from you and replace it with an unquenchable, undeniable thirst for righteousness that enables you to be used of him in such a wonderful way that you will go, Lord, give me more. The Apostle Paul prayed, give me the best gifts, Lord. That's a, what a great prayer. As he finishes the first letter to the church at Corinth, he prays that prayer, I desire the best gifts. Whatever it is you want from me, Lord, that's what I want. What you hold in your hands represents the authority of Christ the forgiveness of Christ, 
the relationship that you now have with the Lord, forgiveness of sin, and oh, by the way, the power to do great things. God didn't save you to put you on the sidelines. He saved you to use you. As Paul returns home to his hometown, I'm sure there were some skeptics. As I think on his life, Paul had exactly one message. Paul had one message. He was actually against what he was formerly for. And Paul didn't invent that gospel, he received it. As you read the book of Acts, you find this man that it's so clear what God did in his life that he understood exactly the plan and purpose that God had for his life. And as you look at the Gospels, you realize that all the Gospel authors had their own unique viewpoint, and God uses each one of them. From Paul's perspective, his Gospel would have looked radically different. It it would have been the Gospel of contrast, because what he formerly believed was what one needed was the Torah, the law of God, works, law-keeping, and very religious zeal that one would say is just a legalistic understanding of the holiness of God. That's where Paul was. And he writes to us, the church, and says, for by the works of the flesh is no one justified. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That there's none righteous, not one. He he not only downplays what he formerly played up, he says exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. He said, works can't save you. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself so that no one can boast it's a gift from God, as he wrote to the church at Ephesus. What you have in your hand represents the power of God to use you in the same way. And before we pray, before we receive communion together, I want to give you just a moment to just go before the Lord and say, Lord, Take away anything that's stopping me from being used of you and give me everything I need to be fruitful in your kingdom. So let's pray for a moment together and then we'll partake. Father, we collectively cry out to you and ask you, God, if there's any wicked way in us, remove it. 
there's any stumbling stone in us, break it. If there's any belligerence to your will, Lord, we surrender. God, if there's any good thing, don't let us rely on it. If there's any weakness, turn it into a strength. Father, we thank you for what you've done in saving us. So, Lord, we pray that you would use this church to reach this world for our king and for his kingdom. And so we bless you, Lord. We recognize that it was on the night that you were betrayed, Jesus, that you took the bread, and when you had broken it, you said, take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you, Jesus. Let's partake of the bread together. Inexplicably, from a human perspective, what you did for us on that cross was to eradicate the debt of our sin through the shedding of your own blood. And so after the supper, when you took the cup and you blessed it, you said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of sin as often as you drink of it do so in remembrance of me we remember you Jesus let's partake together Father we thank you we thank you Lord that you saved us for a purpose through the shedding of your own son's blood and Jesus we thank you that you counted it not robbery to go to that cross to die in our place and we recognize that it's so that you can use us not just save us we thank you that we're saved we thank you that our sin is forgiven but Lord would you please use us prepare us make us holy vessels acceptable in your sight use us for your glory. We honor you, Jesus, for the sacrifice you made so that we can be used. It's in your name we pray these things.